Welcome to Where Are We Going, Episode 8. I'm Jason Weedle. Today's episode is The Struggle Between Gay and Christian Identities. Same-sex marriage, homosexuality has become one of the most divisive topics, probably the most divisive topic for Christianity in America right now. The struggle is between the way we understand scripture and wanting to be people of love and acceptance and grace. Is it possible to do both of those things? As the discussion and the debate has raged, it seems that there is very little listening, but there is simply more entrenchment, more division, more positioning on one side or the other. I hope that during the show today, we can examine both sides of the issue. We can respectfully look at those who hold a position that they believe is faithful to scripture, and we can respectfully look at those who hold a position that they believe is loving and accepting of the way that God made certain people. I hope that our discussion today leads to more respect and more understanding of each other, and I hope that that understanding can help to bring more love between us and not more division. Well, uh, you know, looking back, because hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Um, I can look back and see that even before she came out to us, there were there were indicators, there were there were signs, and you know, as a as a Christian father, I would I would pray into that, but uh, I, I was just kind of watching certain things unfold and. And there's a part of me that's like, well, maybe she's just a tomboy kind of thing. And, um, you know, she reached uh, uh, junior high especially. Um, things began to kind of uh, make themselves a little more clear. She, Her little crushes were, were on uh, – they were, they were girl crushes. And I was like, well, you know, it's uh, – yeah, it's okay. It's just a girl crush. This is what junior hires do, right? Um, you know, the whole anima animus, getting hold of your own uh, male and female side, as it were. And, uh, you know, as time went on, things began to, to just become a little more clearer and clearer. And it, it, it became clear to me that, that even though she was, she was showing some interest in boys, it was, it was more, uh, just giving it a college try more than than there was anything of of substance and it wasn't uh until she was 16 and uh i don't know sometime when she was 16 that that um in her junior year she um or sophomore year excuse me she she approached us and and I could tell that she was she had something pretty pretty heavy she wanted to share and and I'm just I'm looking at this and I'm like oh here it comes and sure enough she she came out to us as as being gay and 
I wish I could say that uh, my wife and I handled it with aplomb and and we did well, but we were stereotypically um, just handled it badly. It was just uh, really if I if I <laughs> if I uh, if I have a regret or if I could go back in time, as it were, and undo something that that would be a moment um, because. Part of the conversation, really, uh, the, the we were so both intent on on making ourselves heard. I wasn't listening, and I can look back and and basically I can I can say that here was a sixteen year old girl who was just wanting to be accepted by her dad, and as we. As we kind of butted heads that day, it really came down to where she was basically saying, "Now you need to choose between God and me." Um, and and the words really were almost that explicit. And you know, I basically I said, "Don't don't make me go there, because that that choice is is a non-choice. I'll choose God every day." That's Daniel Cox. I met Daniel a while back through some online discussion over some things that I had written on my blog. We discussed his story, his perspectives about homosexuality. And I understand. I understand the position because I've heard it since I was a child that The world is going to offer us certain perspectives and certain ideas, but we have to say, no, I will stand with God and with Scripture every time. Exactly as he said. But I have to also wonder, how do we square that with the ideas of seeing a child growing up and seeing evidence that this is simply the way she is, how can we say that that's wrong? To hear a little bit more of Daniel's story. I remember the hurt uh, that crossed her face that day, in that moment when I said that, because although it was right, although it was true, how I handled that, how I... I, there are lots of ways I could have handled that with and and have been honest with her without without it having that kind of impact and you know from there on uh really for a good number of years uh my daughter and I have had a very strained relationship and and uh she has subsequently shared as as i mean she has subsequently shared that a big part of it was that day and not feeling accepted and just wanting to be loved by her parents. And there's something in that 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 says a lot that just I just want to be loved for who I am. Um, and really, it it strained our relationships enough that uh, right after high school, she went out to Memphis for a couple of years trying to just get away as far away as she could from us. And uh, it wasn't until she found herself uh, uh, without money and without help and, and asked to come home for a while. And she came home and really over the last, since she's come home, 
um, and that's been about uh, two and a half, going on three years now. She's really, we've been working really hard at, at trying to find the the language and the uh, the common ground to communicate one to another. And, and we actually, um, a couple of weeks ago, we actually had what I, it was loud and it was, it was angry and hurting, and, and uh, if you were looking at us, you would have said, oh, they're having an awful fight. But the reality is it's the first time we've actually shared the heart of, of our feelings and our fears and, and our concerns for one another. Yeah. We're so far apart in our understanding of, of gay and, and um, God made me this way versus um why would God make you that way and then condemn you in the scripture? It's like you're, you're, that would make you a throwaway in his eyes, you know? Uh, and so just this, the, the dialogue is still strained. Um, but I see her working really hard and, and I've been working, um, trying to work as hard in, in trying to be honest in our communication, um, trying to be fair. And at the same time, you know, both of us, we still, we stand on what we believe and, and, um, I don't see either of us compromising anytime soon. And yet being able to be in relationship and to have, um, father daughter relationship, uh, actually happening in I, I can't say in spite of it or in in the shadow of it Daniel and I talked a fair amount about sin about the damages and effects of sin on an individual and on society most actions that we would consider sin stealing murder greed gluttony selfishness they have an obvious damaging effect on either us individually on the people around us on society at large and I asked Daniel what kind of damage does leading a homosexual life have on a person he really didn't have a real clear answer to this mostly he just thought there was internal damage that was done since God has pointed it out as sin This makes me think that so often the reason that we have to oppose homosexuality is simply that we think it's a rule that God set up. You can't do this. But yet, the ways that God wants us to act and live as a society are not simply arbitrary. The things that God points out as wrong, the ways that he wants us to live have effects on our personal lives, on our relationships with other people, on our society at large, on the history of humanity. So don't we have to see, if something is sin and it is wrong, don't we have to see that there is damage done? If I could just say one more thing, because I was thinking about this earlier, and... uh, uh, 
maybe this fits in the discussion, maybe it doesn't. Because I think, uh, you know, I've been looking around the church in general, church with a big C in the world, and and really here in the West, in the U.S., and, and uh, it's almost like so many churches have circled the wagons and, and have looked inward toward each other in a circle. And, okay, I see Brother John, and I see Jason over there, and, and oh, where's where's Jimmy? Did he fall out? It's, we need to get him back kind of thing. So it's kind of like looking in at each other and, and taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I've been walking this 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 relationship out with my daughter and with other other gays and it's almost I it's almost as if Christ is saying look let's let's just do a, a complete 180 everybody in the circle turn around now we're still in the circle we're still part of the part of the body but we're shoulder to shoulder looking outward Daniel's idea about looking outward is a good one Daniel is not really flexible in his perspective and ideas about what it means to be gay. I don't know that he would even say that a person who is gay can really follow Jesus. But the idea of Christianity turning around from being so inwardly focused to focusing more on the things that are important in the world around us is is pretty important. Wayne Potter is a friend who I have known for over 20 years, and his story is very similar to Daniel's. His brother came out 14 years ago, and Wayne has also struggled with how to respond, how to be faithful to what his conviction, his teaching, and his worldview has been, but still to love and accept his brother. My younger brother um, came out to me about 14 years ago, um, I guess it was, and um, and um, had just ended a, a bad relationship with a, a woman he was engaged to, and uh, and just a matter of um, maybe maybe a month or so later um, was visiting me and said that uh, that he had decided that that he was gay. And, um, as, as a conservative, I mean, to use, to use a, um, classification, which I don't isn't necessarily the best thing. I think it divides us a lot, but I, I would guess I'm a conservative evangelical, um, and, and believing, um, that the Bible teaches that that's sin and, um, and wanting the best for him, um, didn't uh, didn't respond um, really the best at all. I'm, I'm embarrassed today, actually, by my response um, at that time. And um, and honestly, I think a lot of a lot of my brother's relationship today actually is is still strained from that response that I had with him that night. Wayne and Daniel sound nearly identical as they talk about the way they responded to relatives coming up. I think of a situation many years ago where a couple who I was quite close with came to me and told me they were getting a divorce. And my response was nothing 
loving or caring or saying, I want to understand and help you through this, but was the response that I had learned in church for so many years and the same response that I hear from both Daniel and Wayne, the pointing out how this is a damaging choice and will affect your child and how it will, have you really thought about this? Have you really considered the problems? It seems that in the Christian world, we have often been conditioned to have all the answers and to want to offer the answers to everyone who comes to us with something important. We want to be able to tell them how they should live and what they should do, how they should change the things that the Bible says about their situation. Perhaps we need to back off that a little bit. I had a very wise professor <laughs> at Bible school, and, and and he stated that, and it's one of those things, I, I guess you learn it through life, and I, I wish I would have heeded that advice um, on that night, but he, he just said that. It's, it's not our job to change people. Um, that's 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 the role of, of God. That's the role of the Holy Spirit working in their lives and, and convicting and changing. So um, I, I still believe um, that that's not God's best for him, you know, for my brother, and I, that's not the ideal. Um, but I also believe that I um, I need to handle that better, and and I need to love people and accept people for where they're at and for who they are and and not try and take on the role of the Holy Spirit. So how has that, I mean, 14 years, that's a significant amount of time. How has that kind of affected your understanding of what it means to be gay or um, just how we interact with people who are gay? Um, Like I said, a lot of this is... um, is, is coming from a personal place. Um, it's not necessary. I've had some, some fairly close friends that, um, that have either said I'm gay or said, Hey, I'm struggling with, um, with this. And I, and I'm, I'm choosing not to necessarily embrace this lifestyle, but I do have these feelings or tendencies. Um, but really focusing on my brother specifically. And that's where I've had the most, experience um he's still you know i I honestly i've I've apologized to him and and said you know i'm sorry that that probably not probably that wasn't the best um response and, and i apologize for coming across that way um the challenge is that he's he's still looking for not just acceptance but for me to not accept him, but to accept his choice and his lifestyle. So now I have to walk that balance of how do I accept him and love him and let him be who he is today, but still say your lifestyle choices, I don't think are the best for you or, 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 um, you know, that's not what God would have for you. Um, I don't know. The, the little phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin, yeah. is one that's been tied up w- with this issue for years. Yeah. And 
you know, different people have come out and said, you know, this is a phrase we need to stop using. Um, although it's still kind of the position that gets taken very, very often. And it, it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like having that kind of position is possible or is, um, I, I would expect from your brother's perspective, it's not possible. And maybe from yours, it is. Yeah. Is yeah. That I, yeah, it is. I was trying to avoid <laughs> using that exact phrase, but, but that is what I said. And yes, um, for my brother, um, he would say, yeah, it's not possible. If you don't accept my choices and, and who I choose to be and the way I choose to live, then you don't accept me. And, uh, and I, and I'm trying to say, I do accept you, but I don't believe, you know, that I, I can in good conscience accept your lifestyle choices. And, um, yeah, that, that is probably the source of most of the tension right there. So it's, it seems like very often with this kind of struggle, this, the struggle is between values or between morality and relationship. And it kind of seems like that's where you're at. And if you had to say what's more important, what, what, do you, what, if, what would you say is more important? And, <clears throat> yeah, you're probably right. I mean, that, if you want to really try and simplify it down, um, it is a, a struggle between between morality and relationship in a lot of ways. Um, I, for me, personally, um, I, I believe, and, and, I'm, and this is a lot of praying and a lot of struggling still right now, um, I probably will attend this service um, and be there to support him. Um, but because I'm saying that relationship matters to me. Right. Um, but it's a big struggle because at the same time, I'm, I'm, I feel like that forces me to compromise a little bit of who I am and, and what I believe, you know, to, to be true. And, um, it's tough. It's a really tough, um, decision. I hope that you can hear that neither Wayne's nor Daniel's position is rooted in hate or in prejudice, but it's rooted in a set of values that's ingrained in them and is ingrained deeply in so many Christians. It's a worldview, it's a way of understanding our own morality our values, our position in the world, our relationship with God, our relationship with all of creation. It's not simply a matter of choosing to accept or choosing to hate a certain group of people. You can also hear in both of their stories the struggle that they have the struggle that they have between, as I talked about with Wayne, the relationship or the morality. I believe that's the struggle that so many Christians face. What is more important, following 
what we believe is a moral standard or pursuing an accepting and loving relationship. Mitchell Jones is a pastor who I've known for many, many years. I've seen his work in the local church. He's a powerful preacher and communicator, a strong leader, an amazing worshiper and musician. I've seen God working through him. I have seen the way he inspired others, helped people to grow closer to God, helped people to understand the Bible, helped people to understand their relationships with each other. Mitchell came out as gay a few years ago. He recently appeared on the television show Fix My Life and exposed a lot of the struggle around um, secretly being gay for many years and trying to understand that and suppress that. He has a book coming out called Coming Out, The Journey to Authenticity. I talked with Mitchell Jones about his story. I am Mitchell Jones. I am a gay pastor in the black church at this particular time. I um, man, grew up in the church. I've got pictures of you know sitting on the piano at two years old with the Bible in my hand while my mom is playing. I've uh, been you know so I've been around the church, singer, uh, musician, choir director, you know teaching parts, musician, worship leader, all those things. Um, and I've, you know, started pastoring in 1996 and I've been doing so, um, been doing so since then. Great. Got five kids, was married at one point, um, born in New York, grew up in Virginia and currently, you know, still in Virginia. It's possible some listeners could have seen you, you, you on the, the Oprah network on the program, which I've forgotten the name of. Fix my life. Yes. Um, <laughs> And talking about your story and kind of what, how it developed that you came out as a gay pastor to family as well as people in your community. Can you say a little bit about that, that whole story? Sure. Um, I actually, um, you know, the show was just taped, um, was just taped in March of this year, 2015, and just aired in the end of September and the first part of October. Um, but for me, that story actually began almost six years ago. So, um, you know, I made it, I made my wife aware, you know, in 2009 that I was what was at that time, I just considered myself to, um, to, to prefer men. That was how I, I coined it. And it wasn't until um, going on Fix My Life and being a part of that show that I actually would say or could say that, oh, okay, well, I'm a gay man. Um, because I felt like that was, that was a label and I've never liked, I've never liked labels or being put in a box. Um, but you know, based, you know, from a societal standpoint, that's how it's viewed. And that's, you know, that's, that's who I am for my family. Um, after my ex-wife and I decided to separate, I made them aware. I set my parents down with my siblings and their spouses to, um, you know, just to let them know what was going on because I didn't want, want them to get it from any, from anybody else. Yeah. And about six months after that, I made, um, you know, I made the people at the church aware that, you know, that, that this is, this is who I, you know, this is who I was. I, I preached about my struggle. I preached about, 
um, at the you know, I preached in 2004 at the point that I you know believed I was delivered. You know, preached the sermon. It's it's, it's on tape. It's um, I took it and made a manuscript out of it, and you know wrote a book. I still have the manuscript on my on my jump drive right today. Um, you know from you know from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing the show for me was about hoping to have the conversation um, because the conversation does not does not take place in the black church at all. Right. Um, you know, predominantly white congregations are a little bit further, much further, actually, um, in general, or just the, just the culture in general is much more ahead um, of the black community than, you know, in dealing with the subject. So for me, initially doing the show was was about that. And in the process, I realized that, OK, yeah, there's some things that if I'm going to go forward to be able to have this conversation that I need to to make my ex-wife aware of. And um, and then in the process, I discovered, wow, there are some things about me that I really didn't um, that I really did not fully that I really did not fully own. And that was that I wasn't as out as I thought I was. Um, I, I realized that in the process. So, you know, doing that whole thing, I mean, I, 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 I have a list of 13, you know, just 13 things that I became aware of or became reacquainted with about myself. Um, you know, during the during the process of that show, and I really wish that people could see all of the footage from the five days of taping. You know, and not just what they got in in about 144 minutes of airtime. Sure, um, sure. But you know, yeah, definitely a great experience. I would imagine throughout a lot of this over the course of the years of what you just explained that a lot of the people in your church, a lot of family. I mean, I, I expect there was some some kind of backlash, some criticism, some misunderstandings. Do you experience any of that and bad feelings or? Oh yeah. It's, you know, cause it was for some, it was, you know, we don't, we don't understand. We thought you were delivered. You preached about it for others. It was, you know, you knew all the time and you know, your ex, you know, your wife was just your cover up. Um, you know, to the, you know, we just don't know, you know, how you can, how you can, you know, think that this is right. I mean, it's clear in the Bible that this is wrong. This is an abomination. And, you know, you're, you're backslid and you're reprobate. You, you just need to be forgiven. The Lord forgives you. Just, just repent. You know, yeah. I, 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 I heard all of that and I've heard, you know, even the, you know, I, we get it, you know, we're, we're, I, I support you. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard all of it. And and I'd imagine over the years that your perspective on all of this has changed as well, right? What do you mean? On on what it means to be gay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So because that wasn't a term six years ago, that wasn't even a term that was in my vocabulary to describe myself. Yeah, or even <laughs> or even to describe someone else. Oh, absolutely. That's true. That's yeah. true. Correct. Um you know, I, I, I I think we've seen maybe even in just only the past few years, maybe the past 10 years um, within kind of the church at large, I think we kind of went from this perspective of homosexuality is this deception. It's this uh, – it's the influence of the devil and you have to be delivered from it. And I think then we kind of evolved, it seemed, into this place of – well, maybe it's just the way you are and it's a temptation that you will always have, but you have to kind of just hold it back. Yeah. And it's like it's like everybody else's sin. You know, you 
one person is tempted with same-sex attraction and another person's tempted to to eat too much apple pie. Yes. And it seems that that's the way that's the place a lot of churches are right now. What's what's wrong with that perspective? Well, I think I think the thing that is it is wrong that's wrong with that perspective is that um you know a lot of times you know faith is just that it's it's belief and it's it's blind and it doesn't mix um most people don't mix faith faith with logic um a lot of times people don't like to mix faith and science um so they don't they just get the one perspective that this is what i believe and they really don't know why they believe it except that this is what they've always heard sure. and somebody read something and explained it to them and it made logical sense to them so that's what they went with yeah. Um, so they, you know, people don't really understand. I remember some years ago, even reading in a counseling book that I, that I bought to, you know, to help me out, you know, counseling, spiritually counseling people as a pastor. And, you know, I remember reading that section about homosexuality and, and hearing the argument of, of genetics. And, and, you know, of course that was a stretch for me to, to read that in the late nineties, you know, early, early two thousands, right. but you know, 2015, it's a viable it's a viable consideration for me, um, you know, because I just don't believe that this is something that anyone chooses. I certainly know it's something that I didn't choose. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't also I do not believe that if God is omnipresent and omnipotent and he can do whatever he wants to do, he wouldn't give the devil that much power over anybody. Yeah. <laughs> to, you know, to wreak this kind of emotional trauma. Um, that even leads many people to suicide. A person who really affected the way I think about what it means to be gay is a young man who I got to know over the course of a few years. He admitted to me during that time that he was gay, and he was keeping this a secret from most of the people in his life. The thing that was different about this young man is that he had Asperger's, which is a, a form of autism that's that's less severe. He was still highly functional, but his ability to uh, some of his his learning ability, his social social ability, was not the same as everyone else. So he was not one who was really capable of looking around and seeing other gay people and trying to imitate the way that they lived or even wanting to feel accepted in that world. He just began to slowly realize that that's the way he was and he struggled with it so much. I remember one time he was talking to me about it and he said, am I always going to be this way? And I didn't really have a good answer for him. He went back and forth, not... He went back and forth trying to renounce being gay, but realizing he really could not overcome the feelings. Hearing from the church he was a part of that it was sin and fearing going to hell. Going into depression and struggling with his own feelings. At this point, he's accepted being gay, that that is who he is. Seeing the process and the struggle that he went through contradicted many of the things that I had grown up hearing in the church and in Christian circles. 
and allowed me to see something different in the experience of gay people. Well, I think I think one of the things, the first thing that comes to mind that's that's done um, again, it sends people, it sends some a certain number of people into a down spiral of you know God doesn't love me. Um, you know, I've tried to get rid of this thing. And if this is so, so bad, so sinful, so wrong an abomination, I don't want it. And, and God couldn't love me. So, you know, again, the suicidal thing, the suicide comes in, um, for others, uh, you know, for, for others, it's that, you know, you're, you're, you're an outcast, you know, so you feel like you're alone. You don't feel like anybody, you don't feel like anybody understands, you know, what it is, what it is that you're dealing with. Um, and so you don't feel like you you can you can relate to people. You don't feel like um, you can you can talk to anybody. You don't feel like you can you can trust anybody. Um, so you know th- those are some of the things that I th- I think happens. You know when when somebody can't say. I was talking with uh, someone just a, a few days ago who who said to me something I thought was really interesting, and they said that that when you start to understand the issue of homosexuality differently it changes the way you understand god um and this was someone who's been in kind of uh, in a conservative church their entire life and had a certain perspective that comes from that kind of church um but is probably developing a lot of different ideas as time has gone on uh what do you think of that? Do you think that is the case? Does our understanding and view of God change when we change our understanding of how God made individuals? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that can change how you how you view God, how you understand how, how you understand Him. Um, but I don't think it it changes the view of how we understand God any more than someone um, changing changing their position on any other thing like uh in the black church you know women women couldn't preach you know they're, they're not allowed to be preachers they're not allowed to be they're not allowed to be pastors it could be it could be something as simple as you know you didn't you, women didn't cut their hair or men di- weren't allowed to grow beards or mustaches or i think anything that that is that is changed from a from a from a doctrinal a dogma standpoint has the ability to open a person's mind, a person's spirit, a person's view to something other than what they've always known. Mm, and yeah. the more you open your mind and you open your spirit, then the more you're able to see God because you see him in, in many different facets and in the things, in the ways and the places that you didn't see him or experience him, or, you know, you can now see, you can now see him yeah. and you start to see him in things that you never thought he was in. You know, I would imagine for many, many years, there's still going to be a conflict within the Christian church. And how do we navigate that? Do you think there is still a way for there to be disagreement, but to still treat each other with respect, with dignity, and to get along? Yes, I think I think there is and that is and that is that is that is what my mission is. You know, my mission is not to have theological debates 
or scriptural debates about whether some this is you know whether something is is interpreted correctly or incorrectly or you know you you you're you're taking that out of context that is not my mission my mission is to say if you believe that this is a sin then i i'm okay with that if i'm okay if somebody else says that this is, i agree that this is a sin but god is going to forgive me because i was born in sin shape and iniquity i'm okay with that if somebody says that you've interpreted the scripture wrong and this is clearly not a sin to them i'm okay with that i think that we need to learn to allow everybody because this is what i believe is true whether we would whether people realize it or not all of us have our own theology and our theologies determine what churches we attend but no one person, not every person, the majority of the people that sit in any one church does not agree with everything that that, ter- that, that church teaches. Yeah. You know, so, so it, is, it is saying that, you know what, we do have differences, but the real issue is you still have a relationship with God. I still have a relationship with him. If we're all made in his image and his likeness, then I don't have to agree with you in order to love you because somebody else is sitting there saying, well, that brother's been married three times and his other two wives are alive. You know, the scripture doesn't the, the scripture doesn't support that. Yeah. So, you know, any one of us could go along these theological routes to now disprove of what each other is doing rather than saying that, you know what, you have your relationship. I have my relationship. This is just where we come to worship. This is where we come to do to do um, to do kingdom work together. And I don't have to be deciding whether you're correct or whether you're wrong because I have my own relationship to work out. In my conversation with Wayne Potter, he told me about the rest of his family's response to his brother coming out as gay. Very negative response, even though they are not at all religious. We talked about the fact that those very negative responses, often to the level of violence, are actually rooted in religion. That the excuse for his parents' rejection of his brother is that it's wrong in the eyes of God, even though they seem to, day by day, have no relationship with God. Perhaps we need to stop being as concerned about the morality of the issue, whether it's right or wrong and start looking more at the people involved and caring about this group of people who has been rejected, abused, and marginalized in our society for many years. That's the perspective of Amy Pyatt, who is a pastor in Portland, Oregon. I speak with her next. I am the senior minister at First Christian Church in Portland, Oregon. It's a progressive uh, Disciples of Christ congregation in downtown Portland. Um, I'm the first female in 136 years to be the senior pastor, and I've been there, well, let's see, almost three and a half years. So we're still getting used to each other, by and large. I'd say uh, we're, we're getting along pretty well these days. We're having some fun. But there are a few that still don't know what to do with me. So you had some some kind of interesting stuff happen, some a little bit disturbing in the past couple of weeks that kind of made the rounds and some a little bit of media. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the story with your uh, your protests and what has gone on there? Yeah, um, I think it's been about a month ago now that um, I had 
a couple of sort of friendly heads up from other clergy in town. Um, the Unitarian Church up the street, and then the United Church of Christ, other uh, pretty progressive churches in Portland, said that they had been picketed and protested recently for their stance on being open to GLBTQ individuals. And so I knew it was coming, although um, I anticipated that they would wait until we officially declared our open and affirming status, which is happening here on the 15th of uh, November. But um, I guess word got around. I have a sign in my window that faces the park blocks, which is like this beautiful open air um, sort of nine blocks of, of just beautiful, gorgeous trees. It's, it's, it's quintessential Portland, really. Um, lots of hipsters walking around and college students and professionals and homeless people. Um, that's where they eat their lunch um, on beautiful mm-hmm. sunny days, uh, which actually happens a lot more here than people think. Um, it's, it's packed. So it's a busy thoroughfare, great people watching. And I have this sign in the window that says, uh, I won't get it exactly right verbatim, but um, as a Christian, I'm sorry for the ways that you have been hurt, denied rights, excluded in the name of God. And then I have um, some rainbow flags hanging over it. So uh, they uh, took that sign as an opportunity to um, pick on me personally, which I also wasn't really anticipating. I was a little naive about all this, as it turns out. Um, they videotape the whole thing. They're local protesters. Um, and they start the video by saying um, that I'm, I'm mocking them with my signs because they wear the sandwich boards that say uh, turn or burn, repent or perish kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and so they said that my sign was mocking them. And then they showed up on a Sunday morning and marched up to our front doors where we have our main entrance off of the park blocks into the sanctuary and they were screaming. I could hear them throughout our building. Um, you know, the standard, uh, you know, you're going to hell for uh, your stance. You don't know the Bible. Um, and so I thought, well, how could I subvert this? Um, they're expecting me to go at them and scream back at them or argue or be upset. And I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I went and I got a, a rolling coffee cart and some cookies, um, coffee, water bottles. And I went out and I just said, hey, you guys must be thirsty after all that screaming. <laughs> and I offered them water and um, they they didn't accept it. They kicked it and stepped on the cookies. But um, there was one kid there who I felt like sort of, we sort of cracked um, uh, the, the shell of his um, tough stance a little bit. Um, so it went on for about 30 minutes, the, the rant. And um, then we went and, and had our worship service. And I kind of thought that was the end of it. But, but um, my partner in, in ministry, his name is Adam Phillips. He's made the news a lot lately um, for that sign as well, because he wore it at the Pride Fest. We both took our, our signs to the Portland Pride Fest back in June, and he had a blog about it that just blew up. Um, he was standing there with me. He videotaped some of the things that the protesters were saying to me on his phone. Videotaped, that's such an antiquated term. You know what I mean? He, he took video <laughs> of, of them. And it was when he posted that, that I sort of started listening to some of the things they were saying. Because in the moment, I, I don't know why, I just didn't really. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of 
had this resolve that I wasn't going to let them get to me and I was going to be love no matter what. And um, I think I did that pretty well in the moment. But then when I went back and watched the video, um, they were pretty mean to me specifically attacking me because I was a woman and saying the church was already damned because they entrusted me as their leader. Um, Mm. And then the local news here in Portland um, picked up Adam's blog Uh, about this experience and his video that was posted. And my husband, Christian, did the same thing. He posted the same video and blogged about it. So a local news station saw those and asked me to talk about it. Um, And that's when things got a little out of hand. Um, That's when it it went more viral, of course. Uh, And a guy in Chicago wrote me a couple days after the news story aired and then subsequently went out online. And he said, Amy, you really need to be careful I said, why? Um, and he posted a link to the full-length video that the protesters had taken. Uh, so their whole uh, purpose, I guess, I mean, they would tell you it's to convert you or to uh, save you from hell, I suppose. But they videotape all of this in the hopes of inciting some sort of violence. Yeah. So that you'll be upset, somebody will punch them, and they'll have it on tape, and then they can sue you. Um which is pretty sad. Um, but I watched the full video and in it, they prayed for my death and they prayed uh, that my children would go to hell. Um, and that's when I, I was really taken aback. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden I felt like I was way uh, further into the situation than I ever meant to be. And I was scared. Um, so I, I contacted the newly retired police chief of Portland. Uh, he's in my church. And I just said, hey, I don't want to make too much of this. I don't want to be paranoid, but I'm a little freaked out here. Is that something I should worry about? And and he said, you know, Amy, actually, yeah, hmm. you need to take this seriously. It's not the protesters, really, you need to worry about. They're pretty um, forthright about their intentions and, and what they think. It's the people who watch these videos yeah. who... Uh, who want to answer their prayers that you need to worry about. Uh, in this day and age, people are looking for ways to get attention or to find meaning or to be the martyr, whatever. Um, and they're the ones that uh, could go off. And this was like, I don't know, maybe a week or at the most two after the Roseburg shootings. And so it just, the timing of it all really sucked. Sure. <laughs> So I, I filed a police report and uh, things kind of calmed down. But then last week I was at the office at church and um, they came back just out in the middle of the week out of the blue and they were screaming at me through the windows. Um, and a couple of elderly women in my church were pretty upset. Um, I chose just to walk away. Um, I, I told them I loved them and uh they said, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're a harlot. That was a new one for me. That was a, <laughs> a term I have never <laughs> had slung at me before. A harlot and a Jezebel. Ooh, there's some 1885 language for you. Oh. <laughs> um, but we just, we just walked away to another part of the building where we weren't by the windows and they couldn't see us. And eventually they left. Uh, so I don't know uh, if this will continue. I really hope it doesn't. I don't believe that all opposition to 
same-sex marriage or to homosexuality in general is rooted in hate. But we can see from Amy's experience as well as from countless examples throughout our country that opposition to homosexuality or opposition to any kind of group or activity can so quickly and easily lead to violence. When we say that it's the fault of the gay people that our country is sliding down the tubes, when we say that Muslims are taking us straight to hell, when we say that it's the abortionists' fault that we're sliding toward immorality, then we are justified in any attitudes or actions that are taken toward those people. This should make us think twice about the way that we talk about, treat, and characterize gay people from within the church. You know, my initial thought is that the damage has been piling up for a really long time, and the church is just finally speaking out about it. And so we're getting just a a little remnant of the hate and the exclusion and judgment that LGBTQ people have been experiencing for a very long time. Sure. I mean, I don't want to in any way, like in my month-long episode, if you want to call it that, to the struggle and the suffering that people have uh, undergone as a result of just loving who they love and being who they are uh, their whole lives. People who have been turned away from their families, who have been excommunicated, who've been told that they are unlovable, um, who've been condemned to hell, who, I, I mean, I don't, I can't even claim to understand what they've been through. So I don't want to make the mistake of sounding as if, like, now I'm a part of that group, because I'm yeah. still an extremely privileged, white, middle class, educated uh, person. And and really, I don't, I don't. I can set down um, this this fight at any time and just walk away and everybody would leave me alone. Whereas people who are born um, a little bit different, they don't have that option. They can't, they can't set down who they are and walk away. And so it, it's my job as a person of faith to use my privilege um, to speak out and to make a sanctuary for them uh, to try and and be a different voice of hope and reconciliation and love. And, and to say very clearly, you are not a mistake. You are not an aberration. You are a beloved child of God. And we accept you fully for who you are and, and celebrate who you are. You can see that Pastor Amy's perspective is quite a bit different from the perspectives that we started the show today with. I hope that as you've listened, you come away not with necessarily a changed idea, but with the idea that we can be respectful and have a conversation about what it means to be gay and what it means to be a Christian and the struggle that goes on in the lives of gay people. And we can extend love and grace and acceptance to everyone as well. I recently spent several weeks going through the book of Galatians, and I was struck that 
after this entire letter that Paul has written, what it seems to come down to is what Paul says are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is living a moral life. He doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is going and telling everyone about the gospel. He doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is miracles. He doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is getting your candidate into office. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May we be people who exemplify those qualities, treating everyone, no matter who they are, with love, with joy, with peace. May we be people of patience and kindness and goodness, people who are faithful and gentle and self-controlled. And we could throw Bible verses at each other all day, and all the next day, and the day after that, and nobody would ever win that argument, because I believe you can make just about any argument you want, any case you want with scripture. Um, I have my own understanding of those scriptures from Leviticus and Romans and whatnot that people quote all the time, but I don't really think that's what this is about. I think it's about relationship, and I have seen transformation occur for people when all of a sudden it's not about the gay issue kept at arm's length, but it's about my daughter or my son who is gay. It is about my brother who just came out and my parents won't talk to him and told me not to talk to him. It's, you know, my grandson, whoever. It, it becomes a real person, right. not an issue. And all of a sudden we are confronted with the flesh of, of it, and the, the actual embodiment. And we can't walk away because there's, there's this thing called love that I think overrides all of that.